Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. Hey, let's dive into the message here today. You're in for a treat. I brought in a friend of mine today that I got to know a little over two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago. And many of you know, I was on this journey of just kind of praying and thinking and studying and wrestling with how should the church, especially in America, disciple? It's pretty much the main thing Jesus told us to do. You know, he called us to love people and then like make disciples. And so like, how do we live that thing out and just, do the best we can with this mission Jesus give, has given us. And I think it's a pretty important thing for us to figure out. And I was just wrestling to that, praying to that. I got to introduce to Pastor Sandy, who's going to be preaching here this morning. And uh, he's uh, just an amazing, godly pastor, pastored for, for several decades, and now is full-time. He was already a part of this, this group called the Bonhoeffer Project, which basically helps train pastors and doesn't even really train them as much as take them on a journey through wrestling through the gospel and the kingdom gospel, and then how can you disciple people in your church? And when I met with him and he explained what this Bonhoeffer journey, this Bonhoeffer project was, I'm like, that is exactly where I'm at right now. And so I jumped in, had a blast learning, growing. We've been on this initiative for the last two years of experimenting, we could say, of how do we disciple in the church, and we're getting ready to launch our final phase and, and dive into that in the next few weeks, which is pretty exciting. But Pastor Sandy had a huge integral part in that as he has become my discipleship coach. It's kind of what he became there as we were processing and going through all of this. And so i just grown to love this guy, admire him a lot. Now he's full-time with the Bonhoeffer Project. And so that's just my little introduction into who he is, how we got connected. And so i just love for you to honor and welcome Pastor Sandy as he comes up here and brings the word here to kick off our new series, Kingdom First. Here we go. Hi, church. Great to be with you guys. Who here is a native? Anybody born here in Phoenix? Minority. We should get something for that. Shouldn't we get a free license plate? I mean, there ought to be some perk because everybody is from somewhere else like the rest of you, but we have a valley fever in our lungs and don't even know it since we lived here. And uh, we are proud. We like cactus and snakes and all the things that scare you. We're proud of that stuff, right? We like it hot. The hotter, the better. You know, if it wasn't so hot here, we'd be like LA. So be glad that it gets really hot here. I love your pastor, you guys. I love this man. He's the real deal. He's not in this to make a big name for himself or until he can find another career. Tyrone is a called man. He's marked by Christ, and all he wants to do is honor and serve Christ, him and his family, Amy. That's, that's what we want to do. So you are fortunate to be under his pastoral care and leadership. And I was honored and delighted when he said, hey, would you come preach uh, 
I, I didn't appreciate the comment that I've been in ministry for decades and decades. That, uh, that was a little bit of an overstatement. But. I want to talk with you about the gospel. I think there's a, a problem with the gospel in our culture today, and we shouldn't be surprised because we've had 2,000 years to mess around with it. And so we shouldn't be surprised that maybe we've, uh, over time, we've gotten a little off center on what the gospel is. And so what I, I want to do is have you think with me about the gospel of the kingdom, because we're going to make kingdom first. And I love that call. And to do that, we got to know Jesus, as we're going to see in Mark chapter 1, I hope you have a Bible with you. We'll look in Mark chapter 1 today. But uh, he was preaching the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. So we're going to Try to get our hands around that a little more. But let me tell you my story, because how, how I came to Christ kind of set the course for what it meant for me to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, grew up here, lived in Southern Cal for a little while, but went to high school here and uh, went to Arizona State, uh, and I was in a fraternity. And I became president of the fraternity, and I was in student government. I was a devil's advocate, and now, wait a minute before you judge me about that. Uh, that's where you would go around to high schools and tell them why they should go to ASU and not U of A. That's kind of what we did in there. Uh, but I was doing a lot of the right stuff, but there was this emptiness inside. In fact, I would tell you that when I was a little boy, I remember asking my mom, Mom, why am I me? Why am I in this body and not in Tyrone's body? So think about that. As a, as a young boy, I had... I didn't know anything about the spirit or the soul, but I knew that the real me was inside this physical body, and I wondered why. Why am I in this one and not in yours? And that continued this question of, why am I here? What is this about? And as I got into college, I was haunted by, you know, that old uh, song, is this all there is? So what happens now? I get a degree, and I get a wife, and I get a job, and I get a house, and a mortgage, and a pension, and then I die. Is this all there is? So now it's uh, Sunday morning. I'm uh, ill from too much fraternizing. I'm the president, right? I got to lead the way. So I'm sipping 7-Up and eating saltine crackers, and uh, the nerd of the frat walks in. We prided ourselves at the SIGAP house that we'd pledge anybody, cool, uncool. Well, dear Jeff was on the uncool side for sure. Uh, he, he had a terrible complexion. His voice was still changing. He was short. He drove a Studebaker that his granddad gave him. He grew up in Tucson. He was in the marching band. He was a drummer, so he's drumming all the time. And, and to make matters worse, I mean, every time there's a pickup basketball game he wanted to play, he was always picked last. You know, he just, he, nothing cool about Jeff. And on top of that, he loved Jesus. So he's a biology major. He comes in my room. I'm laying there. Sandy, Sandy, do you know what happens when you drink? Too much that uh, these cells die. These get replicated. These will never be replaced, Sandy, but you have so many of them that it won't really matter. And uh, normally I would have said, Patterson, get out of here. But I kept listening. And then he, he stopped. He said, so Sandy, if you had died today, where would you be? I thought, hmm. Well, I bet it's like my geology class. I bet God grades on a curve. And I'm probably a C minus. I mean, there's guys in this frat a lot worse than me. 
So I'm probably going to make the curve. So I, I think I'm okay, Jeff. But, uh, and he looks at me and goes, well, I know. Well, how do you know? And he, he goes back to his room and he gets a little track, the four spiritual laws. Anybody ever heard of the four spiritual laws? And law one is God loves you, has a plan for your life. And it's like, man, I, I want to believe that. Okay. Law two, sin has separated you from God. Well, I couldn't argue my way out of that one. I was laying in the midst of that reality. Uh, law three, Jesus took your place on the cross. And my mom had drug us four boys to church. And so I knew the information about Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. But it was the fourth law that said, you must personally do something about this that I'd never really had anyone confront me with. And I think the verse there was uh, John 1, as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. And Jeff said, uh, you wouldn't want to pray this prayer, would you? And uh, it's like the room got thick, you guys. And I just knew, I think I've found what I've been looking for all my life. I said, Jesus, I don't know what this means. We kneeled there on my bunk, and I said, I but I'm inviting you to come in my life. I think you're who I've been looking for all my life. And for me, there was a, an immediate filling of the Holy Spirit. Now I understand at the time, I just knew, wow, suddenly the lights went on inside. It's like I'd been wearing the wrong prescription glasses and Jesus gave me the right glasses. All of a sudden I just knew, okay, you're real. You're why I'm here and you're who I want to live for. I've been looking for you all my life. So I called my girlfriend, Margie Hansen, the nursing student, daughter of the two-star general, and said, Margie, uh, good Catholic girl, Margie, I don't know all this means, but I just asked Jesus in my life, and I think everything is going to change. Long silence. Okay, well, you know, you're not a Jew. You're not a Muslim. You've been a Christian. I don't get what the deal uh, four days later, three in the morning, as she held up a picture of her dad, two-star general, all the medals, great guy. I mean, like, if they did a movie of his life, it'd be a Jimmy Stewart, wonderful life kind of movie. I mean, this guy was so awesome, humble roots. And uh, she said, are you telling me if this man doesn't receive Christ like you did, you go to heaven and he doesn't? Rough question for a guy that's been a Christian four days. And... Uh, the Lord just gave me the words. And I said, you know, I, I'm not saying that, Margie, but that's what the Bible says. And she just melted in front of me, just melted. She said, well, how do I become a Christian? You know, I said, I've been telling you that for four days. Have you not been listening to me? Why, you're so slow. No, I said, hey, will you just ask him? That's all I know, my deep theology. John 3, 16, for God's love of the world. Revelation 3, he's knocking at the door. Just ask him. Uh, we've now been married uh, 44 and a half years and four kids, and she's alongside me in ministry. So and, uh, she's live streaming with us at home. But uh, so here's the next thing that happens. That was Sunday. So Tuesday night, Jeff Patterson takes me to this Campus Crusade for Christ meeting. And there's all these folks there, students. Uh, I learned later that the ASU Campus Crusade had a reputation for... Uh, having some of the, the toughest staff people. We had the meanest coach in college football, remember Frank Cush? And so all the real challenged people wanted to come there and see if they could win Cush or his football players to Christ. We had, we had these gung-ho kind of people. But all over the wall of this room, it said, win, build, sin, win, build, sin. And right away, I'm being indoctrinated in the best sense of that word in, Sandy, you've been one to Christ, 
to be built up so that you can go reach your sphere of influence, which clearly is the frat, right? So you've been one to be built up so that you can win someone and build them up and help them uh, be sent wherever God takes them. So if you ask me, what's the Christian life? Win, build, send. Win people to Christ, build them up, send them out on the mission Christ has for them. Well, then uh, I had the uh, tragic discovery of going back to my old local church. And I saw that there was no win, build, send. It was sit, soak, and sour. And I told the pastor what had happened to me, and his eyes just kind of glazed over. He had no understanding of what I was talking about. So right then, if you'd asked me, you know, what are the top 100 careers you'd like to consider, being a pastor was 99 or 100. It was just not going to be on that list. But the Lord had other plans. And uh, he brought people into my life that continued to disciple and mentor me. And I got involved in young life over at Chaparral High and saw kids come to Christ and discipled them and gave them a vision. And uh, more and more, I just got the hunger for this, this truth and to share it. And uh, lo and behold, I ended up in ministry after all. God got the last laugh. So I guess one of the lessons is don't tell God what you won't do, right? But... Uh, it's been a great journey, but that's been my whole heart has been to bring back to the church when build sin. Now, is that how you start with Christ is really hard to overcome, whether it's for good or for ill. So if you started with Christ and someone said to you, you know, just pray this prayer. You want to go to heaven, don't you? I guess. Okay, well, just pray this prayer, and now you'll go to heaven, and you can see Jesus on the other side. Well, that's the American gospel. Pray a prayer, and you'll go to heaven. Well, there's truth there. It's just not the whole truth. See, I got, my gospel was, you've been one to be built up to reach others. That's a different starting point. It's like uh, my father-in-law, who I love so, and is now with Jesus, he, uh, he had this kind of play ranch. It wasn't a working ranch. He said, ranching's great if you have another source of income. And uh, so I learned to ride a horse and learned to shoot a skeet with him, learned to fish and clean the fish and uh, all kinds of animal stuff, learned to castrate sheep. That was fascinating and uh, has not really come in handy since then, but it was an interesting skill to learn. Well, so my kids, we go out there every summer to grandpa's ranch and as a, you know, poor young pastor, just, you just get there, then the, you got a great summer vacation. Well, he had uh, chickens in the hen house, and then he had a little uh, group of, uh, of ducks, and Mama Duck had some baby ducklings about the same time that one of the hens hatched some cute little chicks. Well, to our surprise, one of the chicks wandered away from the barn and, and got hanging out with the ducks, and that chick bonded with the ducks and not the chickens. So to our whore one afternoon, we all watched from the porch as Mother Duck took her ducklings down to the creek, and here came the little chick. And all little ducklings have that natural oil, and they're just buoyant, and they hopped in the creek, and the little chick went in, and my girl screamed, Daddy, you gotta save the chick. So I run down there, and we grabbed the little chick out of the water. We took her in the house, dried her off. The girls wanted to blow dry her. Have you ever seen a, a chick that's been blown dried? It's just a round yellow ball. It's the cutest thing. 
But no matter how often we take that little chick back to the hen house, she got in her head, she's a duck. And it showed me the power of that initial bonding. I bonded with a group of folks that were following Jesus to reach others and disciple them to reach others versus so many folks that have bonded to a message that says, just pray a prayer, now you go to heaven, now you ought to go to church, and you ought to give some money, and you ought to help usher, and you ought to you know, work with the kids, and that's all good and optional. And the consequence is we have all these people in the church that have no joy, no power, and wonder, why is this not working? And it's because they, they didn't start the way Jesus wants us to start. And so what I want to explore with you together is What's the gospel that Jesus preached? So let's uh, open up to Mark chapter 1. Mark's a great gospel. It's kind of the American gospel. It's short. It's like it has ADD. It's right to the point. Uh, Mark's, one of his favorite words is immediately. It's like he's going along, and then immediately, they went over here, and then immediately, and uh, which it kind of fits the American attention span. So it's a good gospel for you and I to, to fall in love with. But one of the things I love about Mark is there's more watching what Jesus is doing than what he's saying. And that's important. Sometimes we jump right to the cross and what Jesus has done on the cross. You know, he spent uh, 33 years before the cross that doing some things that would be good for us to know about. Okay, so Mark chapter 1. You're with me? It starts out the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then it talks about John the Baptist. So chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, is about John the Baptist. And he's out in the wilderness. Uh, he's dressed like a prophet. He, uh, and people are coming to him. It's like a revival. Do you see that? It says all the country, look at verse 5. All the country of Judea is going out to him, all the people of Jerusalem. Now what's going on? These people are hungry and broken and desperate. They're, they're financially broken because their economy has become this huge division, the haves and the have-nots. There's no middle class. Most of them live day-to-day -day agrarian hand-to-mouth. They're under the oppression of Rome. Romans hate them. Romans hate Jews. They despise Jews. And on top of that, their Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, had made uh, the religion this burden of rules that no one could really keep. These folks are so broken and desperate. When there was news, because it's been a few hundred years, when there was news that real prophet of God, he looks like a prophet, he preaches like a prophet, they couldn't get to him fast enough. And that's a great reminder to you and me. You know, churches today want to spend a lot of time thinking about how we can get the mildly curious to come into our church. You know, what are the programs, what are the surface, services we can do to get these mildly interested people to come? No, pray that God will lead you to the broken ones to the hungry ones. Those are the ones who are ripe to hear uh, Tyrone say, repent and believe and follow Jesus. Uh, that's the ones you should be praying and looking for. And they're probably already in your sphere of influence if someone would just reach out to them. So these, this broken community is running out to John the Baptist and he's telling them, okay, I want you to repent. 
That's a great word. You know, that's a word we've lost in the gospel now. Here, we don't do repentance. We just jump people right to just believe and see in heaven. So a guy's going along his own way. You're going along your own way. She's going her own way. Someone hands him the gospel. Hey, Jesus loves you. He died for you. Do you want to go to heaven? Oh, okay, we'll pray this prayer. Okay, good, great. Okay, now put that in your pocket. You're going to heaven. But nothing's changed. Gee, repentance means uh, the God of the universe who made you has come for you. Do you want to follow him? Yes, turn around. Repentance means you turn. It means you don't, stop going your way, and now you ask the question, where's he going? Go my way. And Jesus said, don't be surprised. It's narrow. It's not broad. It's not the most popular. And that's why it requires repentance, the turning and following. So John's got these folks repenting. Then the next scene, uh, scene two of Mark chapter one, verses nine to 13. You got that? Nine to 13. What is it? The baptism of Jesus. Great picture. Comes out of the water. John can't get over the fact that he's asking him to baptize him. Jesus comes out of the water. The Holy Spirit manifests itself as a, as a dove coming down to showing people that the Spirit of God is anointing this man for his ministry. And then, I love this scene, it's, uh, it's verse 11. It's like the Father is watching all this. And he just can't restrain himself. He just can't hold it back, and he tears open heaven. Can you imagine the sound of the Father's voice? Can you imagine the, how the whole ground must have shook? And what does he say? Oh, this is my son. I love him. My translation's a little wooden. You are my beloved son. I, that's a little understated. I think he said, this is the one. This is him. This is the one I told you about. This is one Moses told you about. Isaiah told you about him. And now here he is. This is my son, and I couldn't be more fired up about it. The father blesses his son with those words of affirmation. And then the next thing that happens is Jesus starts his ministry, right? No. Did you read the verse? See, gotcha. <laughs> verse 13, what's the next thing that happens? He's driven, impelled into the wilderness for an encounter with his enemy. And just a little side note as we keep moving here. This is what God does with every one of his kids. David, you're going to be the next king of Israel. Yeah, I'm going to whip that Philistine. Yeah, man, he whips that Philistine. All right, I'm king. No, you're going to be on the run for 10 years in the wilderness. Moses, you're my man. Yeah, I'm your man. You got a great education here in Egypt, and you got all the gifts, and yeah, I'm here to save my people. Wrong. You're going to be in the backside of the desert for 40 years. Paul, you're going to be my man. Right, yeah, okay, blind, and now go to Arabia for three years. Every dear saint, every child, every man and woman who is Christ's person and follows him, you will be taken to the wilderness. Not because he's punishing you, but because he loves you. And because he knows you must be purified and you must be broken of your own self and your own self-sufficiency. And sometimes that wilderness is a financial setback. Sometimes it's a broken marriage. Sometimes it's the death of a child. It's, it's heavy. And it makes you ask all the right questions. Is there a God? Does he care? Does he love me? Is he still here? Those are all the questions that you've got to wrestle the ground before you can serve anybody else. So if you are in the wilderness right now, dear one, he's not picking on you. He loves you. 
That's why when you know Christians, their life in some ways seems to be more challenging than other people. Because God's doing something. He's purifying. He's building. Because you are worth everything to him. You're worth the blood of his son. So he's not going to waste you. He's going to build you. So he goes out in the wilderness, comes back 40 days. Now he's ready to start his ministry. Okay. I think we've got this one on the slide. Thank you, guys. Here it is. John 1, 14. So after John's taken into custody, wow. Now, what? John the Baptist. Jesus will say, no one greater born of woman than John the Baptist. Oh, by the way, he gets arrested and he'll be beheaded and die. Is that God's happy plan for your life? Sometimes. Sometimes. John's taken into prison. Jesus comes into Galilee, he's preaching the gospel, saying the time is fulfilled. What you've been longing for is happening. God's fulfilling all the prophecies. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's in me right here, right now. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to repent, turn, believe, and then look at uh, verse 17. I want you to follow me. Oh, wait, you say. No. Follow me was just for the disciples, not for everybody. That's what we've done. We've taken Jesus' gospel. We've dropped off the most important part. Repent, turn around, believe that I am God in the flesh and that I know you and I've come for you, and then follow me. Follow me. That's the adventure. That's the joy. Follow me. Let me show you. Look at Mark chapter 8. You can look at Mark chapter 8, verse 34. We've got that one. Jesus summoned the crowd. So whatever he's going to say isn't just for the disciples. It's for anybody that will listen. Jesus summons the crowd and his disciples and said, if anyone wants to come after me, anyone can, friend. It's grace. Anyone can come, male, female, no age limit, no gender, no race, no education requirement. Anybody can come. But if you're going to come, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. There's the Jesus invitation. Now, what we've done over the years, because that feels intimidating, we've told people, well, that's, that's for the really committed. When you're, when you're really committed, then you can deny yourself and take up your cross, but that's optional. And that is a great disservice. That's a tragic thing we've done with the gospel. Jesus is not threatening you. When he says you must deny yourself and take up your cross, he's not saying it like this. Well, you better deny yourself. I'm going to make you not enjoy anything. And everything you enjoy, I'm going to take away. I'm going to make you take up my cross of a sober, sad life. That's not what he's saying. He's saying what every good coach says. Anybody here have athletic ability at one time in your life? (laughs) Anybody here have a good coach? Yeah. If a coach is worth the salt, what he'll say is, I want to make you a great athlete, but to make you a great athlete, you got to come to my practice. Oh, no, coach, I'd like to go over there to that high school's practice, and then I'd like to watch some video by this guy, but I'll show up at the meet and run for you. I'm sorry, the coach would say. Anybody can join my team, but you've got to say no to all the other suitors. You've got to say no to all the other programs and coaches and just follow me. Jesus is not being mean. He's not being killed, Joe. He's just saying, this is the way it works. I want to make you awesome. I want to make you like Tyrone. I want to make you a sold-out follower of Jesus. But it'll only happen if I've got all of you. That's what he's saying. 
If you learn a musical instrument, any musicians, anybody get piano lessons, even if you hated it, guitar lessons? You know, you can't, you can't have six teachers. You gotta have one teacher that says, okay, we're gonna learn these chords, we're gonna learn these notes. You can't have six. That's all Jesus saying. This will never work unless you say no to everybody else, including yourself, including yourself, and follow me. That's what he's saying in Mark 8. It's not a threat. It's just the way life works. That's why we say to when a couple gets married and they come up to the altar, and I've done a lot of these, and uh, the husband and the wife stand there, and in the old, uh, the old writings, the old ceremonies, one of the things they'll do is the pastor will turn to the congregation and say, is, is there anyone here who has any reason why this couple shouldn't be united? Have you ever been in a service they do that, man? It'll, the room goes quiet, you know, what? What? You know, and that, that old girlfriend he's still sleeping with stands up and goes, whoa, wait a minute. But, but that's the point. What he's asking, the pastor's asking, is as far as you all are aware, have they uh, said no to everybody else? Are they ready to say yes to just this one? I mean, he, I'm not going to do the ceremony when I know the, the gal's thinking, well, you know, if old Bob doesn't shape up, I've got... Joe and Tim over here is plan B and C, that'll never work. You gotta forsake all others. That's all Jesus is saying. It's not a threat, but we've we've made it something hard and for the really committed folks. That's the gospel. Follow me. It's free, it's of grace, but make no mistake, it will be the most challenging thing you ever do, and it'll be absolutely worth it. Absolutely worth it. But don't undersell it. Don't soft sell it. Don't tell people, oh, sure, you can come to Jesus. You don't have to change anything, and he loves you. Just come as you are. I mean, you know, there's just enough truth there to make it lethal. No, it's absolutely free, but it, it's just him. It's just him. That's the gospel. You don't believe? Let's see what Paul said. Let's look at uh, Romans 12, but before, don't pull that slide up yet. I want to surprise him with it. Thank you. <laughs> so, the book of Romans, 16 chapters. The first 11 are all about the gospel of grace. Chapters 1 to 3, thou everybody falls short of the glory of God, whether you're a religious Jew or a pagan worship in a tree, you're all as lost as the other person without Christ. Then he talks about the whole issue of faith, chapters 4, 5, and 6, that it takes faith. Faith is what God's looking for. Faith, and by the way, in chapters 4, 5, and 6, faith is always manifested, always made known in obedience so it's not just faith that says, yeah, I believe that. It's faith that will result in some obedience, some action. Abraham proved his faith by being willing to sacrifice his son. Moses proved his faith by following God's call. So faith is proven by obedience. So then chapter 7. Oh, I'm so grateful for Romans 7. Anybody glad for Romans 7? Where Paul says, have you ever found yourself doing the very thing you didn't want to do? He's a Christian writing that, you know. I know inside I want to do the will of God, but I see this war in my members. It makes me want to do something else. I'm so grateful Romans 7 is in there. But then the hope is chapter 8. Uh, who loves Romans 8? Anybody love Romans 8? Yeah, man, your hand went up fast, brother. You know Romans 8, yeah. Why do we love Romans 8? Because all things work together for good to those who love God. Why do I love Romans 8? Because 
The Spirit prays for me when I don't even know how to pray. I love Romans 8 because it says, I am called and chosen, set apart, and I am going to be glorified, and nobody can stop that, and no one can separate me from the love of God. If God's for me, who can be against me? How can you not love Romans 8? Let me, if you don't know Romans 8, I don't know what you've been reading, but you better read that this year. You're going to love it. It's going to be your go-to. My Romans 8 is so worn out, I go there all the time. Because it's, it's my treasure chest. It's my, it's my IRA account in Jesus. It just reminds me I'm rich. This is who I am in Christ. Not because of what I have performed, but because of his great love. So, all right. Then we go to 11. Look out. Who's waited through Romans 9-11? Anybody live to tell about it? It's heavy stuff. It's the sovereignty of God. It's not democracy, Romans 9-11. It's uh, God is sovereign. I'll choose who I want to choose. I'll do what I want to do, and nobody can stop it, and you, I don't have to explain myself to you. As Paul will say in Romans 9 to 11, who are you, O man, to say to the creator? Can the clay say to the potter, hey, I don't want to be that? No. So you are not about to tell God what, how you want to run the universe, really. And that's Romans 9 to 11. So by the time you get to chapter 11, you are full of gratitude and you are broken of your pride and how smart you are. And now, chapter 12, here comes Paul's invitation. This is Paul's gospel invitation. All right, throw it up there. Therefore, I urge you, I beg you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that is in light of chapters 1 to 11, I urge you to present your body a living and holy sacrifice. There's nothing there just to pray a prayer and go to heaven. What is he asking for? Your whole person, your whole body is your sacrifice. That should be your response. That's your spiritual service of worship. Then you won't be conformed to this world. Next slide. But you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. See, every time I do... Uh, in church, I ask people, what do you want to have a preaching series on? It's always three things. I don't know if Tyrone's experience. One is uh, end times, when's he coming back, uh, marriage, and what's the will of God for my life? That's Christians are always asking that question. How to fix my marriage or get married? Uh, when's Christ coming back? And what's God's will for me? And that, those are great questions. But the answer to the will of God is, uh, does he have you? Does he have you? John 14, 21. He who obeys me, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by the Father, and we will reveal ourselves to him. The one who has not given Christ their all, who is not a follower, who has not said, Christ, I'm yours, will always struggle with the will of God. It will not be clear to them because they're double-minded. James chapter 1. They can't decide who they are and what they want. But once you settle that, once you settle, I'm a follower of Christ, now the will of God becomes unfolded to you and what he has. And most of his will is around your character. You becoming a person that loves God and loves others well and disciples others. That's, that's the bottom line of his will for you. It's not so much, is it this house? Is it this car? Is it this guy? Those matter, but the bottom line is, are you following me? And as we follow him, he begins to unfold things that blow our mind, how he cares for us and the opportunities. So that's the gospel, dear one. It's like, it's like football. Football is 50,000 people who desperately need exercise, watching 22 who need to desperately sit down and rest. And that's the church. That's the church. We got a lot of fans, a lot of spectators, and a bunch of Tyrones running around doing everything, killing themselves. That was never Christ's plan. 
It's more fun to play than to watch, isn't it? You that love sports, it's much more fun to play than to watch. If you've ever been on a team, who's experiencing love and community? The folks and the fans? No, the guys and the gals on the field who are bleeding together, who are learning and fighting and, and playing together. That's where they, they get tight. That's where they love each other and support each other. And that's, that's the church. That's the design to be a player, a follower of Christ, not just a fan in the stands. All right. So, much. so what would this look like? Let me tell you about my friend Marge Sheets, who's with Jesus right now. Marge raised a family here in Phoenix, two boys. Her husband was a school teacher at Washington High and was a track coach of some renown. In fact, there's a, a, a cross-country meet named in his honor, the Wendell Sheets Invitational. But uh, Marge was a, just a humble woman who had fallen in love with Christ. She had bronchiectasis, which meant she, her lungs were deteriorating, couldn't be stopped. Uh, she'd have to get on oxygen. It limited where she could go. She was Cigarette smoke was just deathly to her. But she had this great sense of humor, and she loved Jesus. She loved the Word. In fact, her favorite book was Ephesians. And she got it in her head that if women would want to meet with her, she would love to study the Word with them and lead them to Jesus. And the Lord kept bringing women to her all the time. In fact, at her funeral, I had the privilege of speaking at her funeral because Margie and I were at the church where Marge worshiped. We had standing room only of people who wanted to stand up and share how Marge Sheets had been used of God to deepen their walk with Jesus. And she rarely left her house. One of the women she led to Jesus was Joyce Starrett. Joyce Starrett was Jewish. She would become one of the outstanding teachers of Bible Study Fellowship. Anybody heard of Bible Study Fellowship in the Valley? It's a uh, parachurch Bible deal for women. It crosses denomination lines. So Joyce was married to an educator like Marge. And she was a chain smoker, and her life wasn't working out the way she wanted. And so she heard Marge might be willing to meet with her and talk. So Marge would come and just kind of dump the first few weeks, just dump all her problems while she's chain smoking in Marge's face. Marge never told her about her lung condition. When Joyce would leave, Marge would cough up sputum and stuff for a couple hours. She'd be shot for a couple days before she could get her strength back from being with Joyce. Finally, after meeting for months and studying the word, Joyce came to a place where she said, I want Jesus. Marge didn't try to close the deal. Hey, Joyce, don't you want to go to heaven? Just pray the spirit. She said, let's just look at the word. Let's just find out who Jesus is and see if you'd be interested. And the more they studied, the more Joyce recognized, this is who I've been looking for all my life. After Joyce came to Christ, then she found out about Marge's lung condition. She said, Marge, what in the world? You let me sit there and blow smoke in your face? And it was killing you, but you never said a word. And Marge laughed and said, you know, Joyce, your soul is more important to me than my lungs. That's the kind of woman she was. That's a discipler. That's just a regular mom, housewife at home that dared to say, Jesus, if you've got hungry, desperate women, I'd love to meet with them and tell them about you. Marge discipled my wife. I was the new youth pastor at Trinity Bible Church on the west side. And Margie didn't know what it meant to be a pastor's wife. And someone told her you ought to talk to Marge. And she met with Marge. And Marge taught her the book of Ephesians. In fact, they memorized the book. 
And uh, Margie has been set on a course of teaching others to study the Bible because of Mark Sheets in her kitchen table. You can do this. You have been called to lead others to faith and to walk with them in Jesus. Uh, I'm so excited to share this message with you, River Church. Thank you for the privilege. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for their pastor. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you that it's a big, glorious, rich gospel. And I pray that you'll do a great work here to make Christ big in many hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, church. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.